Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record the show from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Have you or a loved one experienced something traumatic and you're not sure how it's affected you or how to heal? Have you tried talking about a traumatic experience only to find it leaves you feeling worse? Do you ever question whether it's possible to heal from an emotional wound that you have? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's show is for you. It's estimated that 70% of adults in the U.S. will experience a traumatic event at least once in their lives. But as you'll hear today, trauma isn't always just a single major event. Sometimes it's a bunch of smaller events that have a cumulative effect on our well-being. Our response to trauma can lead to a variety of unhealthy coping strategies. We try to numb the pain. We avoid anything that reminds us of the traumatic experience. Some people take their feelings out on others, while some people take it out on themselves. Fortunately, there are lots of strategies that can help, which is why I'm talking to Do You Goo Balin. She's a psychotherapist in the San Francisco Bay Area who specializes in trauma and attachment issues. She's also the co-author of a best-selling book called Rewrite, a trauma workbook of creative writing and recovery in our new normal. Some of the things she talks about today are how trauma affects us, how creative activities like writing can help us heal, and how to know when to get professional help. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll share how to apply Do You Goo strategies to your own life. So here's Do You Goo Balan on how to heal from trauma without talking about it. Do You Goo Balan, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Hi, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you too. I have a, a copy of your new book, which is called Rewrite, a trauma workbook of creating writing and recovery in our new normal. And I was really glad that you put this book out into the world. There's so much confusion, I think, right now about trauma, what it is, how it affects us. And as somebody that talks a lot about mental strength, one of the things I often hear people say is something like, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I don't believe that. I think sometimes we get through really tough times and we come out scarred and it really affects us. And that doesn't mean that we're weak people. That's just what happens sometimes when we experience trauma. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in your therapy office in terms of trauma and how trauma, the idea of trauma and our notion about how to treat it has changed over time? Yeah, sure. So trauma, the word trauma, the origin of it in Greek actually means wound. So we all have woundings. It's more about how these memories are stored. It's more about how these emotions are processed. So for instance, um, if a traumatic event is processed from beginning to end, then it, it goes to where delicate things go. It's still a disturbing memory, but it might not affect you in the same way that it does when it's not processed correctly. So in survival mode, 
oftentimes we don't have the chance to experience our emotions and process our feelings. So they, the memory is incomplete. Whenever there's a trigger, we react from it from a previous event rather than the current event. So um, the reaction may not necessarily match um, the current event. And that is a traumatic response. And sometimes we don't even know our triggers. It could be even a season, something really subtle, a song in the background. Um, and in my prior practice, I often see more chronic trauma than I see one-time event trauma. So one-time event traumas would be things like witnessing a shooting or being in a car accident, whereas chronic trauma is more um, kind of enduring circumstances. So living in a violent neighborhood or being in an abusive situation, uh, these kind of traumas we see much more often. I, in my experience, uh, they kind of tend to be um, more easily prone to be triggered. And um, yeah, and the way that it changes, treatment changes. I think in the past, treatment has been more about remembering the event. So it was more the facts and details of the event, the why, the who, the where. Now I think it's more about repairing the event and it's more about identifying the triggers. It's a more nervous system-based treatment where we guide the client to be aware of what's happening in their body and helping them finding out ways to calm their nervous system so they th those feelings that weren't processed before can have a, an, an outlet to be processed. That explains a lot of things. Sometimes two people could be in the same car accident and then they process it completely different, right? One person is steps out and thinks, well, you know, I'm just grateful that I wasn't hurt. And they might walk away relatively unscathed emotionally. Somebody else who was in that same car accident might have nightmares. They might be hypervigilant. They might not want to get in a car for a long time. And I think for a long time, there's been the thought that if if you escape trauma without being scarred somehow, then that means you're a much more strong person or there's something about you that just makes you special. But all of us are prone to, to become traumatized. And I like that you pointed out that it doesn't just have to be one specific event. We used to talk about trauma in terms of somebody who went to war or somebody who had that life or death experience. But I think we've realized, especially during the pandemic, sometimes it's a lot of little things that add up over time and can lead to similar responses. Yes, definitely. And it's also, uh, it's also a lot of the, a lot of it has to do with uh, attachment actually. So right now in trauma therapy, we look at it from an attachment lens. So for clients who didn't really have a secure attachment with their caregivers, they're actually much more prone to trauma. So they could um, react to it in a very different way than somebody who may have had much more support uh, in their early times, because it's about the relationship to the world and to yourself and to other people that affects how you're going to react to your environment too. And what about the idea along the same lines of intergenerational trauma, where if your grandparents were exposed to something, maybe you weren't, or if your parents were exposed to something, you weren't, sometimes it still gets passed down, right? Yes, and actually that is uh, the new kind of traumatic approach, a trauma, trauma treatment approach deals with that a lot because there's a lot of trauma that is stored in the body that is pre-verbal, but also that it, that is passed on from generation to generation. So we might not necessarily have the, uh, the story or the context of the trauma, but we still have the emotional responses 
to certain triggers. And we still have certain belief systems that are um, a result of these traumatic experiences, but we don't necessarily have the storyline. So in the past, this was uh, more difficult to work with, but now with somatic approaches, with psychodrama, with client-centered humanistic approaches, these kind of traumas are much more easily worked with because we don't really need the story. We don't really need the context. We, the only thing that we need is to be able to identify the triggers, to, to build body awareness, to uh, kind of express the emotions. Now that is the work. So it's, it's much, I think it's much more all-encompassing now than it was before. I think so, too, because the old way of treating trauma was just you come in and you share your story over and over again until you're no longer bothered by it with the thought that if you could sort of change the ending of the story or really grasp how you were feeling or why it affected you and how it affected you, that understanding it better would help. But I think the the book, The Body Keeps the Score, really helped people understand that sometimes it's like a physiological response. You might even know know why it's there. And it just happens. And the treatment for it isn't always about sitting down and talking to somebody face to face. And you point out in your book all the different kinds of treatment. But sometimes things like writing and psychodrama can be really effective ways to treat PTSD as well. Yes. And in, in many in some situations there actually might not be access to the story. So like if there's a car accident uh, as a baby and you lose a parent, you're not really going to have the story, but you're going to have a lot of the reactions, the trauma responses. So um, it's, and we, we now know much more than we did before that retelling the story over and over again actually can be very harmful. It can actually cause re-traumatization. So now what we, what we want to do is to kind of use the body as information and teach the client how to soothe themselves and efficient coping mechanisms. And writing is a great tool for this, actually, because it really helps with self-awareness and self-exploration. And when, when it's coupled with somatic approaches like breathing techniques or grounding techniques, it can really help diving deep into our psyche because we can't really access certain parts of ourselves even in talk therapy. So writing allows us a different platform to really get into the emotion, to get into the thoughts and organize and discover our patterns and things that we find ourselves repeating. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com stronger. 
That's A-S-P-C-A, petinsurance.com slash stronger. Again, that's A-S-P-C-A, petinsurance.com slash stronger. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM. Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger. And use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. And how do you recommend people get started? In your book, you list lots and lots of different strategies that can help, types of treatments. But how do people know where to start or where to begin and finding out what's going to work for them? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I think uh, the the most important piece around this is to have self compassion. So and and to be flexible with it. Um, I always recommend to set a time to write. So whether it's in the morning or a lunch break or right before bed, uh, like anything else in our lives. And you mentioned this in your work a lot too. It's it's important to be intentional about it. It's important. You know, just like we have appointments in our calendar, it's important to have this appointment with ourselves in our calendar as well. So pick a time that works for you and you can always change it if you find that it doesn't. And I also always recommend for people to have some intentionality around it. Make it cozy, make it pleasant, add some things that are going to make you feel warm. It could be uh, some light music or a cup of tea, but make this a time that's nourishing to you. And there is really no rule. So in the book, there's a lot of writing prompts, but in reality, there is really no topic. What I'm interested in is what needs to come out. So not holding anything back. And if you find yourself drifting from the topic, that's completely fine because that means that that is what is necessary today. That needs to be expressed today. So, um, and any kind of rules that we have around any perfectionism, like spelling or grammar or story structure, all of that, none of that applies. And to just stick with it. So even if there's nothing comes to your mind, just write that. Nothing comes to my mind. Nothing comes to my mind on repeat. Because even the idea of setting that time for self-exploration to yourself is huge. So for somebody that doesn't have a journal, they don't have a workbook, can they just sit down with a blank notebook? Yes, of course. It could be anything. And also it could be a computer. Just I always recommend to turn on, turn off the, rec- the uh, notifications. I write on my computer. I find it much easier now. And also I have so many journals piled up. Um, so yeah, and anything, anything that works and you can always switch it up and change it. A lot of people like journal and pen and have a special pen. So it feels ritualistic. 
Um, but there's no rule around any of this. So then I know a lot of people get intimidated by a blank piece of paper or a Word document that has nothing in it. And they say, I don't know where to, what to write or where to start. How do you help people figure out what to do? Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a lot of uh, writing prompts that can be used. Um, and, and as I said, these are just starters. It could be something like, um, if I woke up today and my anxiety had melted, what would I do? Like something like that. And that can lead you somewhere that you didn't expect at all. Um, or it could just be, it could just be feeling like filling out little like uh, workbooks and writing it in the workbook too, if that feels um, more welcoming. That's another approach. It just whatever feels right in that very moment. And so, how often do you recommend people write, and for how long? Well, when I start this, I usually start this because the reason why I started to use this more and more was because of the pandemic. And during the pandemic. The need for mental health was just so much more. And I saw that in my prior practice as well. A lot of people were asking for more sessions because the things that we used to do to cope just weren't available anymore. So we couldn't socialize. We couldn't get in, engaged with our extracurricular activities. So writing, I at that time, I recommended to do it every day, 10 to 20 minutes, whatever feels right. And... Um, it, there's there's no real regulation around it, but I feel like consistency actually is really works. So it helps building up that awareness and that practice, that habit. So I would recommend to try it for a week every day, 10, 15 minutes and see what kind of things you notice, see what kind of things keep coming up. And if you like it, you could continue. And then, you know, if, it, if, it, if it's better for you and you're scheduled to use it maybe once a week or twice a week, that's fine too. What, whatever works. Can you share some insights people have gained when they started creative writing, uh, when they start doing this? What might they expect after doing this for a week or two? Yeah. So I actually had, um, I worked with many people uh, and used writing and I had several people actually recognize certain toxic patterns that keep repeating. So I had people come to the awareness that, oh my God, I became my mother <laughs> or I'm actually in the same marriage that my parents were. So these kind of things or discovering the vicious cycle they keep on getting with their, with their children and certain things that come up from them for them from their own childhood. Like these kind of realizations happen often in terms of dynamics. But also I have had uh, a lot of people realize certain habits that they engage in, certain things that interfere with their, for instance, sleep patterns or eating habits. And they have used writing to change their habits and come up with better uh, approaches and more healthier ways of living. There is something about taking it from your brain and putting something on a piece of paper. And sometimes those patterns or those things just become clearer, things that we've done our whole lives, but maybe didn't really notice. And we never really take the time to step back and say, oh yeah, that thing I used to do when I was a kid. Well, here I am 25 years later, still doing that thing. And I've seen a lot of people in my therapy office who then just like this light bulb goes off sometimes after a few weeks of doing that. Yes, definitely. And, and writing really helps with that too, uh, because it's also just you and you. So it's, you're not really telling the story to anyone. You're not really accountable to anyone. You could destroy that paper. No one would see it. Um, so yeah. And that's kind of freeing to know that nobody has to read what you just wrote. For people who maybe don't enjoy writing, what other kind of strategies do you recommend that they might try? 
Yeah. So uh, writing, the reason why I like writing is because it's more, uh, more accessible and doesn't require equipment. But I do work with a lot of musicians and a lot of actors. So for them, for instance, um, they use music and they use um, kind of like write drama or acting certain um, scenes out uh, in for themselves. So if there's any kind of practice, creative outlet that uh, people have, that's definitely recommended. Dance is a really good one too, really helps with expressing emotion and releasing. And then um, for people who just don't like to write and want to connect with themselves, I recommend meditation. There's so many resources out there for meditation. And just uh, the, the idea is to, to be able to tune in with yourself and to understand yourself and listen to yourself and give yourself a couple of moments where it's just you and your own process and your feelings. So however you get there doesn't really matter. That's not really my concern. My concern is just to allow people to express whatever needs to be expressed. So if somebody prefers to draw, paint, do all of those other things to express themselves, you feel like that could be just as effective as sitting and writing? Oh, definitely. It's just as effective. And, yeah. and such beautiful things come up. I think from our pain and from all the things that we're holding, such beautiful art and uh, com comes out from that. So it's definitely a very creative and very productive outlet. I like that too. I can't paint or draw, but I make it very clear to people like I'm a therapist and I'm an author, but yet sometimes there's periods in my life that I just can't find the words for. I can't really describe what it was like. Uh, to go through certain things. I was widowed when I was 26. And when I try to describe to people like what that pain was like, I'm kind of still at a loss for words. And, yeah. but sometimes the thought of like, if I could draw it, paint it, put it on paper, act it out, like it's a little, makes a little bit more sense that way. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I like the idea too, of coming up with strategies to calm that physiological response we have in our bodies, because we sometimes feel physically ill, our heart races. And we don't necessarily know why. And as you mentioned before, it might be that song in the background that you didn't know was playing when something terrible happened to you. But when you hear that song again, even if you're sitting in a restaurant with a good friend, it might still trigger that emotional and physiological response, right? Yes, definitely. And that's, I think, uh, in, in kind of the newer way of trauma treatment, it's about the curiosity. So it's about the curiosity of what happens to your body and, and trying to understand it. So it's more in a nervous system level. And uh, what my goal is in my, in my therapy sessions is to um, make it so that the clients can identify their triggers and instead of being activated by them, just kind of being annoyed by them. So, so triggers are, we're always going to, going to get triggered and triggers are going to be uncomfortable and annoying. But instead of reacting from a place that's um, really big emotions and very difficult and without knowing actually what it's connected to, knowing the connection and kind of having the idea of, oh, I'm triggered again, is the, my goal in therapy. I like that because sometimes if we just treat those symptoms more like, oh, it's annoying, but we don't have to panic. Yes. Because otherwise we start to think, oh no, something bad's about to happen or people are going to notice that, that I'm having a hard time. People are going to pay attention or they're going to think I'm having a panic attack. And it's like that panic, then we talk ourselves into feeling worse and then we maybe beat ourselves up for having such a strong response to something. And then it leads to this vicious cycle, right? 
Yes. And it's about, it's not my life today. That happened to me in the past. Today I'm here. I'm safe. I'm an adult. I can take care of myself. So it's, um, it's teaching the, the client uh, mechanisms to connect themselves to the present and to uh, calm down their body and nervous system. And I've shared this story with my audience before. I hated school as a kid, like vomited before school to that point that I just hated everything about it. And on Sunday nights, the, the Simpsons was on TV. And I knew when that show came on, my weekend was over and I was about to face Monday morning. To this day, even though it's been a very long time since I've been in the third grade, to this day, the Simpsons theme song makes my stomach do a flip-flop. Yes. And I know that I'm safe, that I don't have to go to school tomorrow, but that song for whatever reason, just triggers that response. And I've had like my nephew figured out this. So they used to think it was funny to play the Simpsons theme song to see, <laughs> see what happens. And, and, and I can certainly laugh about it and look at it from just that perspective of it's ridiculous that my body responds this way. But, um, but it's because of something that happened many, many years ago as a kid. And just recognizing that for me was really helpful in saying, okay, this is what it is. And this is why it happened. And I can move on with my day and, and instead of reacting to it. Yes, definitely. Recognizing is, I think, the most important part, knowing that what is what story it's connected to, because otherwise there's this discomfort. You don't really know what it is. So it can actually take up so much more space than if we exactly know what it's connected to. And we can just sit with the discomfort or the annoyance or the fear uh, for a little bit, but know that it's not has nothing to do with our life today, that it's from the past. And we can then, and that's what, what I mean in some ways, storing things properly. So then we can just uh, feel the feelings and complete it and store it where, you know, annoying memories go. What are some of the biggest problems you see that develop in people's lives when they have unhealed trauma? I think, um, I mean, it could be many things, but I think one thing that it interferes with, especially familial trauma, attachment trauma, really interferes with connection and interferes with social relationships, which is a big, big cost because we really thrive in, in connection and we all need it. So um, one of that, that's what I think I would say the biggest thing. And also with the relationship to self. So a lot of times when uh, we grow up in violent homes or in highly critical homes, um, the notion becomes I'm not good enough or even I'm not unlovable or I'm worthless. So these belief systems can be so harmful and can actually interfere with all aspects of our lives. So that is something that comes up often in, in therapy where we our aim is to change these belief systems because they're not true. Right. But when we believe those things, they often become a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When somebody says, you can't trust anybody because maybe they couldn't trust their caregivers as a kid. So they grow up never having a healthy relationship with people. And then they they do, they continue to get hurt by people or somebody who really strongly believes I'm not good enough, might not put themselves out there to try new things because they think I'm going to fail anyway. And then it gets them stuck in that cycle where they keep saying, yeah, see, I'm not good enough to do anything. Exactly. And it, it, it leads to a lot of self-sabotage and it leads to a lot of creating the same story over and over again, which also becomes uh, like a series of traumatic incidents. And the, the belief system actually gets really solidified through repeated experiences. And I'm glad that you mentioned that about social support. I know there's a huge study over the 9-11 um, responders 
in terms of which ones ended up uh, struggling the most and which ones seemed to be able to get through everything that they went through and their lives still had meaning and hope. They found that a lot of it had to do with the amount of social support that they had. Sometimes people, if they go through something terrible, they don't want to tell anybody because they don't want to burden anybody else or they feel like other people wouldn't understand and they feel really lonely and isolated versus the people who had a support group, they could talk to somebody and they felt like they had friends and family who were there for them. How can we work on that to make sure that we all do have some social support in our lives so that when we go through tough times, we have people that can help us get through it? Yeah. I mean, we saw that during the pandemic. There was so much loneliness and so much disconnection uh, during the pandemic. And actually, a lot of, um, for a lot of people, whatever they were prone to, whether it was depression or anxiety, were really amplified. And also, old trauma was very much reactivated. So we saw what happens when we are disconnected from our people. And even, even if it's just interactions with, people in the store or in our work environment, we really need that. We really need to be in connection with other people. That's how we are wired. So, um, so it's now, it's still to this day, we're still kind of some, most of, some of us are still working from home. So social socialization is still not as, um, as great as, it could be. So I think it, it just, as, as we mentioned before, it takes intent, being intentional about it, making sure that we do take time to spend with our loved ones or give them a call. There's a healing effect in laughter and humor and vulnerability within, within others. So we just have to make sure that we are um, active in putting that in our day-to-day lives. And for untreated trauma as well, Sometimes it comes out physically, right? People end up with physical symptoms. I know a lot of doctor visits, hospital visits are more mental health related than physical, but a lot of people don't know. I get tons of referrals from the emergency room or from physicians who say, you know, this person's headaches, stomach aches, really doesn't seem to be a, a physical cause. Do you see a lot of that as well? Yes, definitely. Um, there's definitely a psychosomatic uh, p- uh, t- part to trauma, and uh, it can it can look like headaches or stomach aches or uh, even bigger medical issues, and even accidents actually. So when we're kind of dissociated or numb, or uh, or even with the belief that we deserve to be hurt, these kind of belief systems, we might find ourselves having more and more accidents. It makes us much more vulnerable. It also reduces our immune system, so we might get sick more often. So th- uh, there's definitely a physical aspect to trauma, untreated trauma as well, that needs to be recognized and needs to be made meaning of. So it's important that the client understands the correlation and the connection of mind and body as well. And can we talk about the workplace too? Because I know that people who have experienced serious trauma, sometimes it comes out at work and then they're struggling. Like, do I tell anybody? Do I not? Should I tell my supervisor? Can you talk a little bit about maybe PTSD in the workplace? Yes, um, I d- definitely. I mean, it, it, it kind of goes back into um, the idea that uh, I'm alone in this. So, and there's a threat, of course, uh, in the workplace. There might be a threat to safety or, or keeping the job. But, but it's important, I think, to be your own advocate. So in, in, in the workplace, if there's a situation that feels um, 
threatening or unsafe in, in, in an emotional way as well. It's important to speak up. It's important to uh, look at the resources and um, make sure that we get the help that we need. It's always, and I will always say this, we nothing is done by ourselves. We always need other people to do things. So, um, and when we're in stress, that's even more important to, to reach out to people. Absolutely. So then one last question for you. How can people decide whether this is something maybe that they can work on on their own or when to get professional help? What do you recommend? Yeah, um, I think um, I think this is a very so I think it's important to have awareness and, and you could always get professional help and get deeper and deeper. So there's always room for therapy. But I feel like if if the if the feeling is like your symptoms are really interfering with your day-to-day life. So if you are unable to uh, function the way that you would like at work or at home, if your social relationships are suffering, if you are uh, having a hard time moving through the day, um, doing the basic personal hygiene, and if your sleep and eating is very irregular, then I definitely would recommend to reach out for help. So for things like self-exploration and awareness and understanding your patterns, those kind of things, um, you know, working on your own with meditation, with writing is, is great. But when the symptoms are interfering with your well-being, then getting professional help and asking for support from loved ones is definitely key. I think so too. And I've never had anybody come into my therapy office and say, I wish I would have waited longer to get help. Instead, most people say, you know, I waited a really long time and I wish I would have done this two years ago or five years ago because perhaps I could have felt better sooner. That's definitely true. Yes. Diyugo, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. We'll link to your book in our show notes and I hope everybody goes out and buys a copy of Rewrite. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be here. Thank you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Diyugo's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. She gave us tons of strategies to heal from trauma. Here are three of my favorites. Number one. Set aside 10 to 15 minutes a day to write. Create a writing space where you can spend a few minutes each day, whether you like to sit on the couch with a cup of tea or you want to sit on the back porch with a pen and paper. Take time to write. You can certainly write about whatever thoughts come to mind, but I know that's tough to do and it feels kind of weird to sit down with a blank piece of paper or a laptop. So if you prefer to have some writing prompts to get you going, that can be a good idea too. There are tons of workbooks and journals on the market that can help, including Do You Goo's workbook, Rewrite. But she also says if writing isn't your thing, having another creative outlet might be just as beneficial. Painting, drawing, creating music, or whatever else you love might be a therapeutic activity that helps you heal. Number two, get curious about the things that trigger your anxiety alarm bells. You have specific triggers that set off your anxiety alarm. It might be a certain song, a specific scent, or even a date on the calendar. When it happens, your heart might race, or you might get an instant headache or stomachache. You might not necessarily recognize it as anxiety, though. Sometimes people just get irritable, or they feel the need to exit whatever situation they're in. 
So I like the idea that you can learn to get curious about your symptoms. Pay attention to them, but don't try to suppress them or run from them. Just notice them. You might notice physical symptoms, like your face feels hot or your heart is beating fast. When you do, resist the urge to get mad at yourself or to run away from the situation. Instead, just notice it's happening. And when you become less reactive to your anxiety alarm bells, you might find that your anxiety becomes less intense and you might be less triggered over time. And number three, get healthy social support. If you're fortunate enough to have healthy, supportive people in your life, spend time with them. Laughing, talking, and doing fun things together can be a huge part of the healing process. You don't necessarily have to sit around and talk to them about your traumatic experience in order to heal. We also know that trauma can be quite isolating, and if you don't have supportive people around you, you're not alone in that. A lot of people struggle with this. If that sounds like you, you might need to put some extra energy into finding or creating a community. That could include anything from a religious group to a formal club or an online community or support group that you attend. I've seen people find incredible healing power when they volunteer or even when they join a book club at their local library. Remember, if your mental health is getting in the way of your social life, your work, your health, or your happiness, seek professional help if you can. Anxiety disorders are one of the most treatable yet undertreated mental health issues out there. To learn more of Dewey Goose strategies for healing from trauma, check out her book, Rewrite. You can pick up a copy wherever books are sold. If you know someone who could benefit from learning how to heal from trauma, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who uses music as a creative outlet, Nick Valentine. <laughs>